when I decided to go full time on my own venture. So it was 2020 in the wake of the pandemic. The original iteration of my company, Wisefield, what I had built was a product for job seekers. And you remember everybody was getting laid off. They were out of work. And so we were seeing extraordinary usage of our product. That gave me the confidence to go and say, all right, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm not going back to to corporate America. That was really a tough time. There were times where we didn't have health insurance, blew through most of my savings. You know, you're, you're running up credit cards and you're literally down to every cent and dollar. Welcome to the podcast where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring in the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Reno Perry. Reno is the CEO and co-founder of Wiseful, a community recruiting platform for the tech industry. Reno has sold millions of dollars of SaaS products, advised executives from startups to large enterprises, led teams, and worked at great companies like LinkedIn, Stanley Black & Decker, and the number one mobile coaching platform out there, BetterUp. And now through Wiseful, Reno, Reno is helping others realize their potential and democratize access to the best companies and jobs. And Reno and I share this wonderful world of talent from different angles, so I am very excited to talk shop with him and get him on this episode. So let's get to it. Reno, welcome to the podcast, man. Adam, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And thank you for joining me, and thank you for indulging me as I lay this soundtrack underneath the introduction there. Bit of fun little fun little toy to play with. Yeah, of course. Well, I, I'm looking forward to uh, to some of the sounds, so... There's a whole there's a whole world of sounds. I mean, I got the, the the air horn, which I like to use a bit. But let's let's uh, enough playing with the toys and let's get into the conversation here. First and foremost, thank you so much for joining. Uh, I've I've admired and followed you on LinkedIn for a long time. You've built a, a massive following, um, and you're one of the good guys that shares real actionable information. There's a lot of these big follower accounts out there that are hyped up, inflated, and a lot of them are sharing empty platitudes and you know bullshit motivational quotes. But you're putting the good stuff out there, so I applaud you for that. And Looking forward to unpacking your journey, man. Yeah, of course. Um, appreciate that. Uh, I, I try to offer helpful tips and actionable advice because I have, I think, first get on LinkedIn, have seen the platitudes and the, the empty content. And uh, it's great for for cheap likes and getting the attention in the moment. But in the long run, I don't really think that serves uh, a purpose for the person doing it, but also uh, the people that are reading it. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that a little bit later in the conversation because I want to talk to I want to talk to you to share your thoughts on how folks could grow and utilize LinkedIn in a meaningful way for their job search. But we're gonna put a pin in that one, and I want to hit the rewind button. And you're doing such you know amazing disruptive things with Wiseful today, and I want to turn back the clock. Where did this innate ability to to empathize and really be able to understand people and their problems come from? What point of your life in your career did you kind of realize that this was the thing that you needed to, to grow with and capitalize on? Yeah, I, I it's a great, interesting question. I, I haven't hit the rewind button. Uh, I'm thinking back years now, but I haven't hit the rewind yeah, like this in a while. Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a point of the show here. And for anyone listening here who's, let me just jump in for a quick second there. Um, any of Reno's audience coming in and checking out this show, that this is what the show is all about. This show is I, I take my guest's life journey and I tell it through the lens of their career. So Thank you for for digging into this question because I think it's important 
for people to know where you came from, man. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I honestly, it started when I was a kid. I have to be upfront, uh, and, and just my upbringing, my background as a person. So just to, to give a little bit of a, a high level background. So, sure. uh, I, I come from a, a working class background and family in Chicago and my dad works in manufacturing. He still does. He's, he's running on the factory floor. Um, I was the first person on either side of my family to go to, to college. And so w- with that upbringing of just coming from that white collar background and you just don't have the same opportunities that right. you see a lot of your peers might have, uh, you don't have that knowledge or information that gets passed down from generations. And so uh, a lot of it was learning the hard way. Uh, when it came to high school, that was tough. When it came to going to college or even deciding to go to college, uh, what to look for in a school, that was very new to me. Getting a job, a corporate job, that was crazy to me. Right, no one in my family has ever had that. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a lot of trial by fire. And and uh, to be honest, I was just punched in the gut uh, metaphorically many times and, and stumbled many times. And uh, I think a lot of people feel this way that have had similar experiences. They feel a need to pass it back to to pay it forward and hopefully help people that are coming from a similar space or that are charting a similar path so that they don't have to make those those same mistakes. So it really starts just from the beginning, childhood upbringing and that environment really informed it, it motivates me to do what I do today. I, I appreciate that, sir. What, what was it like to be the, you know, the, the first one in your family to go to college? What, what was that like? What was it like for your parents? Oh, I mean, they, uh, a lot of crying, um, a lot of pride, of course, you know, for them, they were really sold on the idea that getting an education and, and getting a great job, you know, that that's the, the American dream. That's the, the, the ticket to the middle class or higher to provide a life that, you know, maybe they couldn't always give us when we were, when we were growing up. And so, uh, I, I think that's one side for me, what I feel I, I you know, it's definitely that pride, but there's also a, a huge burden mm-hmm. that I think it's placed on my shoulders to go and and be something and provide for everybody. I think I still have that now, even a little bit of a chip chip on the shoulder um, as a founder, as a as a creator. I, I still aren't have a bad that. thing, man. I think they're a good thing to have on your shoulder. It's a motivation when you use it the right way. That chip on your shoulder. Yeah. So I mean, that's 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 what I feel, and and I think what my family felt it was a really big deal. It still is. It is a big deal, but let me let me let me let me take a left turn here because I'd love your thoughts on it. I mean, over the last we'll call it 15, 20 years, there's almost a devaluation of a college degree, mm, right? We're seeing yeah. that so many people are able to excel in their career through either you know being creators or other uh, industries, entrepreneurship, where you don't need a college degree. And part of me is like, shit, did I go to school for five years? You know, for for, for nothing. But no, I mean, I personally think that there's such a value in. And folks that do go away to school is to learning how to be an adult, learning how to live on your own, learning how to, you know, make that transition, which I think is being missed there. But what are, what are your thoughts on the value of a college education? Yeah, I, uh, well, well, first, I think um, you're definitely right. There's there should be cause for concern because we've seen that college college costs are out of control. But it is still if you're somebody who's interested in getting a job and, and trying to provide for your family. Every data point out there is going to point to having a college degree it puts you in a better spot than than not having one. I think just having the education itself is becoming much higher cost than people are are willing to pay, or or now they graduate and then they realize what they have to pay, so they're they're saddled with that huge burden. Uh, but I have in the recent years been a huge fan of alternative paths of learning 
skills-based learning, mm-hmm. uh, life skills learning that are maybe taught outside of school. Because the reality is, I, I think about when I went to college, a lot of what I do now uh, really wasn't applicable to school. Yeah. And a lot of the life skills that I know now and have learned the hard way wasn't even a thought in school. And so it's crazy to me that somebody can charge tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands, yeah. right? And, and on you the school, don't right? get those essential skills. And so that's that's wild to me. I think anybody should think that and look at, is that the best value for me or is there something else out there? Do you think back when you were deciding to go to school, if the alternative paths were available now, you still would have went to university? Uh, it's a good question. I I don't It's a know. tough one. Yeah, yeah it's, it's tough. I, I probably... You know, in that environment I came in where I just didn't know, I didn't have access to information, uh, I probably would have still gone to school. It was such a big deal for my family to see me do that. And so I think there's part of that family side of it that was really yeah, pushing me. Um, but if it was today and it was me now knowing what I know, no even looking at my kids and having that decision, I would seriously have that conversation about, is there a better value for what you are interested in, in, in looking to do it's such, it's such a tough one um my 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 oldest kid my daughter's 11 so she's got a number of years but we have some friends with older mm. kids and they're looking at they're starting to look at schools now my brother's a guidance a college uh, a guidance counselor in high school so he advises on colleges and everything yeah and it blows my mind i mean i don't want to spend our whole podcast talking about this but it blows my mind from the value prop perspective i see these families up there if they're not going to a state school even state schools in new york are now expensive they're paying a fortune i'm like for for what what competitive advantage are they going to have when they get out versus if they went down an entrepreneurship path or they at least take a year sabbatical and go travel the world or something and get some of that, you know, real life experience and then decide is college right for them? Yeah, I think that's I, I've actually seen some articles on this and people have done that, you know, go, go experience things, try new things, find out what you're interested in, whether that's pre-college or even after college. I think people should take a moment to to do that and really understand what they're they're interested in. But you know, I, I'll just say really quickly that there's today and it is fast growing. There are paths that mm-hmm. can get you into the class, get you into a better job that you want. Uh, and college doesn't necessarily have to be part of that equation. So um, it's out there. Yeah. I mean, aside from entrepreneurship, we're talking skill-based training. And I personally would like to see a lot of this country get back to more of that skill-based training. So let's let's get back on track here. Um, let's talk about your time at uh, Stanley Black & Decker. And, and I've heard great things about them as an organization as far as how they promote from within and how they build their internal teams there. Talk to us about your experience there and what you picked up as far as talent and growth. Yeah, that, uh, so that was my first job out of school. Um, and I'll, I'll be yeah, frank. What was that I like did... heading out to the corporate world? <laughs> I remember my first corporate job. I was like a kick in the junk. Oh, wow. That was a smack in the face for yeah. sure. Um, just understanding how to talk to managers and executives. That's crazy to me. No one in my family has ever been in that position. I've never interacted with these people before. And uh, you learn the hard way. And I've definitely had those conversations with my managers about, oh, yeah. uh, well, you, you should maybe do this. Think or, about you how know. you frame that question. And it's a, it's a respect and, and, and experience thing, right? Because you, you exactly. have to learn the hard way a lot of times because we have no, no frame of reference. Yeah, even emails. I got called out for, say, uh, just having uh, my emails were too long. They were too grand. They told too many stories. You're very, you know, what are you doing? You're sending this to a VP. And so uh, it was a really good learning experience, to be honest. But I, I didn't love it personally, just looking at career aspirations wise. But it did teach me a lot about uh, how to be a professional 
how to interact with people that are maybe managing or managing up. Uh, right. So a lot of those found that foundational corporate knowledge I gained from that job, which which was pretty valuable. Let's let's pause for a second. And, and I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I love the concept of managing up. For anyone out there who does not know what the concept of managing up is, can you break it down? Yeah, so for sure. Um, man, managing up is a very, uh, it's, it's honestly a term that is mystified to a lot of people because they hear it as advice, but they don't really understand what it means. And so uh, the concept of managing a direct report, I think is very, uh, I don't want to say simple, but people understand what that means. Right. Someone um, reports up to you, right? Yeah. You ma- ma- managing up is very tough to do because it's it's essentially doing something similar, but with your manager. So it's really looking at your manager and having uh, setting agreed upon goals with your manager. So reaching consensus on what are we trying to do? But then in a sense, you're holding yourself, holding the manager accountable to them helping you reach those goals. It's not just the manager helping you reach those goals. Um, understanding what is your, your manager's capacity and how they can actually help you. So what tools does your manager have to help you? Instead of just taking their word for it and saying, okay, it is what it is. Um, really trying to understand how can this person help me, but also how can they not? Because a manager isn't going to have the capacity to help you in every single thing that you need exactly. to do. Um, and, and honestly, I think just being clear with with expectations on exactly. the way that you work and how you're going to get it done uh, and making that clear to the manager instead of just being a yes person or continuously taking on work and trying to be the best employee. And so it, it's, a, it's a healthy uh, challenge, I think, to the idea of a manager and employee relationship that, I mean, there's a lot more to go into, but, but those are some of the core pieces of managing up that I would tell somebody uh, when they're thinking about, I don't even know how to do this. Um, yeah, and just to synthesize that, it really comes down to the concept of managing expectations. And I talk to a lot of folks out there around this idea of, of managing expectations and what that means. So um, how did the opportunity with LinkedIn come knocking on the door? Oh, this is, uh, th- that was super interesting. Let's put it, let's yeah, put a timestamp on that. 2014. 2014. Yeah. So almost 10 years ago, uh, def- much definitely different place. LinkedIn was a much different place back then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very, very different. It's I joined in 2010. I've been on this platform since 2010, man. I'm an OG on this. Wow. Yeah. You're definitely an OG. So you remember the early, the early influencers like Richard Branson, Ariana Huffington, those are the only people allowed to to post initially. Right. Now everybody's posting content. So it's kind of wild to see the, the transformation. But that that story of getting to LinkedIn was really uh, a core piece of the content I share on LinkedIn. It's how I how I got started, I think, with people resonating with my content was I shared how... So Stanley Black & Decker is in the uh, consumer goods, construction space, that retail side of it. That's that's the industry I was in. LinkedIn, social network, professional right. network, tech, tech company, very different. Uh, I was not an ideal candidate for that job. Um, I maybe had 60% of the qualifications for the job I got at LinkedIn. Uh, but that that was honestly a classic case of tapping your network, reaching out to people that I didn't know, reaching out to people that I kind of knew who worked at the, the company. And by the way, I was doing this for all these other companies too, uh, Salesforce, Microsoft, Google. I just said, hey, I've read about these companies as being great companies. Uh, let me try to, to get a foot in the door. Uh, and I had people who at LinkedIn that I was able to connect with who were able to advocate for me. And it's interesting because I remember interviewing for this uh, my job at LinkedIn, and there were definitely questions from the hiring manager around 
can this person do the job? I, I really and like what, you. What type I, of role? Just everyone out there, what type of uh, role were you interviewing? Yeah, for? so it, it was account executive role. So it's it's uh, essentially selling LinkedIn sales. sales selling their SaaS tools and products. So uh, if there's any recruiters on here, you might be, be familiar with the LinkedIn recruiter tool, the job slots, the career mm-hmm. pages. So that, that was my world uh, in, in getting that job. And I didn't have any traditional sales experience in that sense uh, of what they were typically looking for. I didn't have a background in recruiting at all. Um, didn't have a tech back. I never worked at a tech company. And most of the people I was hired with did. So they either checked those boxes. They, you know, they came from they, another tech company. They had the foot in the door from the experience and skills perspective. For sure. Right. For sure. And, and that's who they wanted. But uh, yeah, so, so I would say it's a classic case of networking, building relationships and getting your foot in the door. And so how did you get, how did you get your foot in the door? Was there someone that you knew personally? Did you have to establish that relationship and have them advocate on your behalf? Let's give that real world example. Because you yeah, practice so, what you preach, man. You, you, it put me on the spot. So um, I had understood the value of a cold email from my time at Stanley Black and Decker. Mm-hmm. And I had no fear of executing on that when it came to finding a job. So I applied the lessons from doing sales and outreach to my job search. And so I would find people, and this is exactly what I did. I looked at other people who were account executives, other people who were on that division or team. And I would just reach out to these people, five, 10 people. Most of them never got back to me. Uh, but then I would, I would look at, okay, what's going to, so when these people didn't get back to me, then I asked, what can I do to improve the chances of getting a response back? Right. So then I looked at people who used to work at Stanley Black and Decker. Did they, do they now work at any of these tech companies? And I found a couple of people that, that did so work. You found at, the commonality. You found it. I found uh, a commonality. Uh, hey, yeah. I, I worked there too, uh, Stanley Black and Decker alumni. Now, how'd you get into LinkedIn? How'd that, I, how'd that transition exactly, work? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. it, and it, it works. That commonality works. And uh, the, the people were willing to pick up the phone, have that conversation with me, multiple conversations. Uh, I had two people that uh, I didn't know well, but were acquaintances. I, I knew of them at my last company who were willing to give me the inside scoop. And uh, one or both of them ended up referring me. Uh, and then I had a random person I didn't know who was actually on the team uh, who was willing to help me. And what really helped was one, I got the referral from those people. But two, as I was going through each step of the interview process, they were advocating on my behalf to the hiring manager of, you know, I know this person, I, they check out. So they were vouching for me in a sense. But how uh, they, what were they basing that vouching on? What were they basing it on? Were they, were they back channeling to Black & Decker like, hey, uh, I know Bob and Sue over there still work there. They worked with Reno. Let me check on. Let me check on his performance. Because for someone to vouch for you, like let's put aside the fact that if an employee yep. is potentially going to get a referral bonus, a cash bonus, which still it's your name on the line. If someone reaches out to me to work for a company that I work at, and I'm potentially going to vouch for them in there, that's my reputation. If Reno yep. comes in and he's not performing well, that that's that that's a reflection back on me in a lot of cases. So it's usually a tough bridge across. You're asking someone to do something out of the goodness of their heart. You're doing some, you're doing, you're asking someone to do you a favor based on a commonality of a, of a past job that we worked at together. And it's also about finding people who like to do the right thing. So, and it's, you got to take your, your shots at it because it's a relatively low percentage of people that will actually do it in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's, that's the challenge. Uh, when I give this type of advice to people as well, most people don't do it. And when they do it, they're not doing it in the right way. Mm-hmm. That actually resonates with someone as the receiver getting those but, messages. So what's the wrong way? Tell, tell us an example of the wrong way. Uh, oh, I, I still get a ton of these messages now, but a, a wrong way would be, hey, here's my resume. Can you help me out? Yeah. Um, okay. Probably not. <laughs> uh, hey, Delete. 
that's the reality. A lot of a lot of people do that to recruiters and hiring managers and, all day long. And I get at least ten a day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I, especially you, you share your content. You see a ton of this. Uh, uh, hey, how's it going? Um, I, I'm really in need of a job. So there's the the desperation play there. Um, I, I used to work at this company. Can you help me out? It, it, and so. If you're not going to take the time to personalize your messaging, exactly. to take the time to understand what the other person cares about and insert that in your message, two minutes, maybe a few minutes, um, why should they get back to you? And so you really need to ask yourself that question if you're crafting any kind of outreach, email, in-mail, um, maybe you're trying to nab somebody in the comments on LinkedIn, think think about that. Uh, there's a difference between a generic message and then personalized. And so uh, the personalization is really key when you're trying to get a hold of these people that can that can help you. And and how deep do we go with personalization? Where do those sources of data come from? Yeah. So I, I always tell people that you can go really deep and spend a whole day on this or hours. Uh, I don't advise that because you're not going to get a lot done. But uh, I would spend a few minutes taking a look at the LinkedIn profile. That's one of the richest sources of information that you I have agree. because uh, I was really I was able to find in just a few minutes. Okay, uh, filter employees at LinkedIn uh, who used to work at Stanley Blackbeard Decker who now works at Not LinkedIn at Google Salesforce. Not that hard. Few minutes, you're going to find people there. You can filter by title to see if they're relevant. Um, and so I, I would challenge people to to spend the few minutes there, look at the profile. You could see their career path. Oh wow! This person went yeah, from find points being of commonality. A, yeah, points of commonality. Like a but Packers they have an fan, job? right? Like look at personal stuff too. See if Adam wrote something about the Packers or something, right? Like yeah, yeah. So uh, see if Reno wrote anything about the Bears and how the the Packers stopped the Bears in the last game they played. So you know uh, this is uh, this stuff works. Um, people, it, it's it stands out in a sea of messages, so, but people respond to those points of commonality. So you get the you get you get the job at LinkedIn. Talk to us back then what, what the culture and the vibe was like around the product. That's not what it is today. I mean, today back then, let's call it was back then, it was known as being a job a job board platform, a business, a professional platform because that's what it was. I mean, I scroll back yeah. to my earliest possible post when we we're able to start posting talking about that kind of stuff versus where it is now, where it's truly, in my opinion, just evolved into one of the other social platforms where it's an attention arbitrage. But talk to us about back then. Uh, 2014, 15, when it was really coming into its own. Yeah, almost uh, almost ten years ago, um, LinkedIn was a very different place. To your point, nobody that I worked with, nobody that I knew, would ever think about sharing any kind of content no. on the platform. Um, and it it was really boring. I mean, it, in one word, it, it, compared to other social networks, there wasn't a lot there going on. No. Uh, it was a Rolodex. It was that dry. definition of it was true. Yeah, very dry. Uh, people called it the, the you know the redhead stepchild of, of the social networks. Uh, I think I saw that in an article that you know. So people really made fun of LinkedIn for just being this boring, dry social network, and uh, it started to slowly evolve while I was there. Uh, LinkedIn started to understand the power of getting creators and influencers mm -hmm. on the platform. It was a really closed off program at first, so they had recruited people like Richard Branson, Ariana Huffington, I think Bill Gates. Yeah, like real, um, real, real, real experienced business leaders and influencers. Yep. So they, they went out, they got a handful of those folks to to start posting content. And, and that was pretty much it. That was the first step at LinkedIn is starting to turn into this place where people go to see what's happening in the where the business conversation is taking place. What can I learn from these kind of leaders? And it, and it started, to sl it slowly evolved. Didn't really take off at first, but 
uh, I would say years, it was still years later before regular people on the platform uh, started to get more comfortable with putting their voice out there and, and sharing content. How, lo- how long were you there for? When did, when did you leave LinkedIn? Uh, I left in 2018. 2018. And, 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 and my, years, yeah. in, in my opinion, I think if I'm going to put a timestamp on it, I would say it's, it was probably around 2019, 18, 19, right before the pandemic, where we really started to see this influx of creators, um, the OG creators that were out there and not like kind of the creators we see today. What's kind of your, let, let, let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about LinkedIn today for a little bit and, and the state of, of creators. Um, mm, yeah. I, I, I kind of put it into two camps. I think that there's genuine creators out there who are sharing knowledge and experience around careers, career journeys, the hiring process, and they come from the world of talent, they come from the world of business, adding their perspective. And then I've seen this migration of LinkedIn where it's really turned into its own pretty much cottage industry of people selling how to LinkedIn on LinkedIn. Right. And there's kind of yeah. two different camps there. Right. And I think that the that is a byproduct of a recession and a downward job market where people are looking for opportunities to monetize and find ways. And in my opinion, that's diluted a lot of the content. But the beauty of about LinkedIn and other social platforms is you can kind of choose your own adventure. If you don't want to see that stuff, you could exit out. You could train the feed. You could train the algorithm um, and curate the feed that you want. I always tell people, if you don't like what you see, yeah. do something about it. If you think you're getting too much of this, you know, get it out of the platform. Um, but there's so much gold there. There's so much good, really important information. And then I also think that there's a lot of people sharing job search advice that either don't have the experience or are speaking out of turn when there's candidates and, and folks out there who are vulnerable in the in the job uh, in the job hunt. So I'm going to get off my soapbox. I'd love to hear your your take on the current state of LinkedIn content. I think you just said everything that needed to be said. Great. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, but. Uh, it, you're uh, you're spot on there. Um, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that creators can take advantage of. When I mean take advantage, take advantage of the audience who will mm-hmm. will engage with that content. They will bite at that because it makes them feel good, but it's not based in reality and it doesn't serve either party well in the wrong, long run. Um, I made a point when I started creating content that I would never do that and. Maybe I passed up some followers. Maybe I don't get as much engagement, but I will never compromise uh, the content I share to to ever become that. And it's funny because I saw a, a successful creator, maybe this was on Twitter, share that uh, content is like a product. So you have really high-end premium products and then you have inferior products. And I believe that. I, I really do think that that's, that's one way to classify content. Uh, but... Do you have a thought there? Yeah, I'm, I'm just laughing because I someone called me out on this recently, and it was somebody who who I respect, and um, they're like Adam. I cause I would say three quarters of the time I'm putting out strong podcast content, content about job search, content about career journeys, and that type of stuff. And then for shits and giggles, I like to throw the occasional rant in there, the occasional meme, cartoon kind of poke fun because that's like kind of the fun stuff. So I like to mix it up. And the person said to me, they're like. You're, you're playing Major League Baseball and all of a sudden you're batting in the minors for a couple of at-bats. And I was like, you know what? But, oh, but that's kind of fun to me. But I, but I took it to heart and I thought about it. And I'm like, is that diluting my followers? But then I look at the engagement on those posts and some of them are, to your point earlier, it's low-hanging fruit because it makes people yeah. laugh. It makes people say, aha, uh-huh, I agree with that, right? And the lower-performing posts are the ones that I personally feel are more value. It's a conundrum. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I, I posted something I joked around about content before where I could post about here is the exact playbook on how I got a, a six-figure paying mm-hmm. job at Google. 
and that might get a handful of likes. But if I post a meme or uh, uh, an image that just says "Stop ghosting candidates" or "Hire people without any experience," exactly, well, million impressions right there. Talk about uh, our friend Joel uh, for a minute there. Give him a quick shout out on those big templated posts that I like to make fun of him on. They work. Uh, they, the water they is wet. Fantastic. We all agree. A zillion likes on it. There you go. No, no offense to Joel either. Joel, Joel has been He's a master. Uh, I've, seen what he, I've seen what he does. Gentlemen across the nation, I have an urgent message for you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took your balls to space is now launching them to the Ultrasphere, introducing the Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. Featuring a new cutting-edge design and next-generation dual-skin-safe blade heads for different shaves. It's pretty much a spaceship to take your boys downstairs to the next level. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the brand new Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code POZCAST, P-O-Z-C-A-S-T. High tech for low places. That's Manscaped. And I got to tell you, since I got my hands... On this pair of trimmers, my life downstairs has changed. My wife loves it, if you know what I mean. But let me tell you, this has made it so much easier to take care of what I need to do downstairs. You know what? Take it on the go. Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock to avoid any accidental powering on or weird looks in the airport. Guys, check this out. Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off when you use the code POSCAST, plus free shipping. I'm telling you, your balls have been through enough. It's time to go ultra with Manscaped. Check it out. So let's get back on track here. Um, Reno, what, what was the impetus to, to leave corporate world and talk to us about building Wisefold? I, I think I've always had that itch to make an impact. And, and, and maybe this is because I just never came from that background of knowing, uh, understanding corporate America, um, having people who worked in that environment. And, and maybe it was sort of that rebellious nature of, of me early on and just not understanding that, that piece of it. But every company I worked at, starting with Stanley Black and Decker, got smaller and smaller each time. So, uh, you had Stanley Black and Decker was a 10,000 or 30,000 plus person company when I was there. LinkedIn, I think at the time was, you know, maybe a thousand or so. Um, and then I joined a company after that, which I was around 80 employees or 70 employees at the time. Uh, and then I just went and started my own thing. And so uh, each example, each company I worked at, there was always a, a watershed moment in that company where. I realized that this big company structure, uh, the the bureaucracy, the the slow moving nature mm -hmm. that I think dogs every every company, uh, especially if you're a bigger company, I didn't resonate with that. I couldn't see myself operating in that environment. Um, I wasn't peak me in a sense, and so um, I wanted the fast pace, the unpredictability, uh, in a sense, um, the the innovative nature of working in a smaller company and building something for myself. Was it came it? with time, though. I don't was, think that was something no. that early on. Hey, like, this is this is exactly what I, I mean. Thought. I said I said it all the time. I mean, it took me, you know, almost 15, 16 years since graduating college to launch my own business. I don't think I could have done it out of school. I wasn't a natural boy. I had entrepreneurial skills and tendencies and traits, but I wouldn't have been able to. I I wouldn't have had that wind behind my sail to go out and launch my own my own business um, and take that risk. I mean, people have to understand that. What was that feeling like? And, and, I, and, I, and I don't get to ask or talk about this often. So I'd like your take on it. Like that move, like that going from that steady 
paycheck to having to go out and kill what you eat. What was that like for you? Oh, it is, uh, that, that was a big struggle. And honestly, probably a, uh, a mistake that I had made um, early on. So when I decided to go full-time on my own venture, so it was 2020 in the wake of the pandemic, the original iteration of what I, my company wise for what I had built was a service. Uh, it was a product for job seekers. And there was a window of just amazing success we saw where you remember everybody was getting laid off. They were out of work. And so we were seeing just extraordinary usage of our, our product. And that gave me the confidence to go and say, all right, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm not going back to, mm-hmm. to corporate America. Um, and I, I, th- that was really a, a tough time. There was, there were times where, uh, actually a very long time where just, we didn't have health insurance. You know, I blew through most of my savings, you know, you're, you're running up credit cards and, I feel uh, you, man. uh, yeah. And you're, you're, you're literally down, down to every cent and dollar looking at wh- what do we have left for that week? Am I going to get this deal through? Uh, and that lasted a long, you know, longer than I would like. And, uh, I, I probably would have done that part of it differently, but um, that was that was pretty tough to to go through. And you know, I, my wife also, you know, she lost her job, and it was a, a service based frontline job. And so, you know, there wasn't much uh, going on uh, at that time. Hard. So, yeah, hard, hard times for sure. It, it it is, but I mean, I could speak on you know for myself. There was something that lit a fire inside of me when I had to go out and 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 hunt. And make shit yeah. happen and know that every dollar I make is because of me. It wasn't like I could sit back in a cushy nine to five job and know I'm going to get the paycheck. There was something about that motivation. Did you feel the same way? Did you feel motivated by that? You, you had to do this. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I, you know, there was definitely a forcing function there that you, you acclimate to pretty quickly because yeah. you don't have a choice yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you have to go out there. You have to put in the 12, 13, 14 hour days if you need to. You got to hustle. Um, it's not a dirty word. It's work. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and though some, I, I still do that now. I mean, you, you have to do it. There's no other option. And, and the option for me was, okay, do you give up on everything that you have been building towards and just go back to, you know, Stanley Black and Decker or yeah. another Nothing company. wrong with corporate um, America. Nothing wrong with the nine to five paycheck. We're not shitting on totally, that. But, totally but to not. go backwards I, I, you is know, a I know people get nine to five jobs, right? Exactly. Like that's a big part of my content. But I think in that, in that moment, you're, it's more about not giving up on what you've built and, and the, the blood and, you know, the sweat that you've put into what you're building and, and just doing everything in your power to make it work because mm-hmm. you've invested the time, you know what you want and uh, you, you go out there and you, you develop that, uh, that, that hustle gene uh, in a sense. It's, it's a gear. So let's, I want to dig into the 2023 talent game for a moment. You have some pretty strong opinions on how the the cream of the labor market crop is no longer mainly found on traditional job boards. So if they're not on the job boards, where where are they? So uh, great, great point. My hypothesis in actually 2020, 2021 uh, was that people, creators are investing more times or investing more time in places like Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Reddit, uh, Discord. Instagram, you name it. And a lot of this really started in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You think about how much social media usage exploded in the pandemic. And uh, we saw that as an opportunity, my company to say, okay, 
well, we know that millennials and Gen Z aren't crazy about going to places like Indeed, Career Builder, right? Um, applying to jobs like they have been for decades. Uh, but we do know that they are excited about spending time on these places like Twitter, Instagram. They're following their favorite content creators. They're spending hours and hours on these platforms. For us, we just said, why don't we build a recruiting product that can engage with people where they are? Uh, and, and that was the simple form of it was, wow, there's all these people here. Uh, why not just get jobs in, in front of them? Maybe there's something there. Uh, and, and that was really how uh, Wiseful was born. Uh, Wiseful today, I should say, um, was being able to take advantage of people on those different platforms in these communities uh, to be able to tap into those to find talent. Where, where do you think this caused the migration of this top talent going from traditional communities? What was it? What was it? What, like the you know, senior level? Where where were you seeing that? Was there a hesitation? In in, in what sense? When uh, the migration from from where to where? You know, we're going from like you know, from like a LinkedIn to an online community. Like, where are you seeing that? Like at the real high levels? Uh, I'd say it's definitely more at millennial and Gen Z levels. Um, but I've actually seen a lot of growth at the senior levels of people seeking out that community as well. Um, and, and so for us, the, the term community is pretty broad. So that could be... Great. So how, maybe, how do you define community? Yeah. So, so I think that that's the, the, the big piece for us is community is a really broad definition. So you could be following uh, you, this podcast, your listeners, I would consider that a community, podcast community. Um, maybe you are someone more senior and you maybe don't listen to podcasts, but you you read a newsletter from somebody who's also, I would say, a more senior creator. Um, I consider people reading a newsletter community. Uh, that That's one example. Um, you could be following a lifestyle influencer on Instagram and, and you religiously look at their content. That's, that's community. Maybe you're just part of a Slack group. So a lot of senior folks are in Slack groups. Um, that's a community to us. And so we define community to be all encompassing more, or I should say more inclusive of places that people usually wouldn't define as community, but it allows us to tap into folks that are more senior in addition to maybe more junior career professionals. Interesting. I, I appreciate that perspective. One of the other cool things that you're doing with, with Wiseful is bringing influencers into the fold. Talk to us a little bit about that strategy. And, and let's define influencers as well there too. How do you define them in regards to the aspect of your business and, and job yeah, searching I, uh, functionality? Good question. Well, I, I don't know how you define influencer, but I, uh, I, I, I try to stay away from that word. I also hate it when people say, oh, you're a LinkedIn influencer now. And, and I just get that. I'm like, ah, a little cringy, that, little like cringy. Yeah. The, the, the classic cringe. Um, well, I think there's, I, a, I think I there's a negative and a positive. I'll, I'll put it this way. I think there's a negative and a positive connotation to the word influencer. Per, I think there's a difference. I think people need to break down influencing or influential versus influencer, mm, yeah. which is a title, right? Yeah. Influential. If you are guiding someone and giving them sage advice, whether near or far mentorship, and you're mm -hmm. influencing somebody to make a decision, make an opinion, take an action. Great. That's influencing. You know, you could look at the Kardashians as influencers, people getting paid to certain to do certain things. Yeah. But they're also driving people to take to take an action. Um, you know, when we when we talk about LinkedIn and we talk about influencers, I think that there is again positive and negative connotations. Kind of that I think there's so many incredible job um 
career folks out there that bring a lot of experience and good, you know, influential advice and influential, you know, concepts and ideas mm -hmm. that people could apply. And then there's the, the other side of it, too. There's the shit side that comes with any social media platform of the people that are the attention seekers, right, that are looking just yeah. to get their name out there and monetize in a negative way. Um, but I've seen a lot of interesting career products that are tying themselves to people who are experts and speaking in a good way. So that's kind of my breakdown and definition of it. If I'm looking at it from when I put my marketing hat back on and my consumer marketing hat back on. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, uh, good point of, uh, trying to distinguish between somebody that's more like a lifestyle influencer, right. Kim Kardashians, and then maybe some folks on LinkedIn. Uh, so the term we use internally at Wiseful is professional <coughs> creator. And so professional creators are the segment or the population of people putting out content that we really try to focus on. And they usually share the characteristics of uh, exactly what you said. They're, they're sharing information that can help their audience. Uh, it might be educational or a form of you know, edutainment, right. entertainment and education mixed in there. They're solving problems. It might be a software engineer who's sharing best practices on what are the coding tools they use or mm -hmm. how can they be a better coder? Uh, maybe it's a marketer sharing how they generate more leads using XYZ framework. Um, and so those are the kind of folks that we look at and say, these folks are influential. They're solving problems. They're educating. Um, they attract people who are interested in those topics, but Usually what we find are the folks that are following those individuals or in those communities. They also have a greater sense of career development, investing in their skills, wanting to be better. And so that's the also the other unique side of why we also target those professional creators, because it tends to attract people that are um, looking to develop themselves. So who's, who, who, in your opinion, are some of the best uh, creators on the platform right now? I mean, there's a, there's a long list. Um, uh, too long to go through, but... I think the leadership. Yeah, so so right now uh, I'm just look. I'm looking at my screen. First, first, first couple names that come up. Um, some really great ones. If you're if you're a senior leadership or your manager, uh, Eric Partaker. I don't know if you've seen some of his stuff. Um, Dave Klein is another one. Um, just Justin Wright. I just connected with. I mean, these are these are folks that have a really unique take on how to be a better leader, but. I think they do a great job of painting a picture of here's what leadership should be and here's what leadership is not and and calling out bad practices, which we have not seen on LinkedIn. I think there was a lot of fear of people at the senior levels doing that for fear of repercussions, uh, retribution. We're starting and to see that move, that move too. Ex exactly. You know, here's bad leadership culture and what to avoid. And so it's front and center now in a way that I haven't seen prior to 2023. So, I mean, those are a few, few folks. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of people in each, each category. There's the job search folks, uh, there's the copywriting folks, sales sales people. I think uh, Darren McKee. I don't know if you oh yeah you see Sounds him. Good dude. Uh, yeah, uh, really good job of somebody who isn't an entrepreneur or just a creator. Who I think he's doing a good job threading the needle of somebody who's working in an executive role at a company, but also sharing their thoughts freely on a platform and finding ways to benefit the company and his, uh, his role as a creator. That's the biggest unlock, right? It's the companies that will empower their employees to speak freely and openly and not, you know, block them, um, on the platform here. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're coming towards the, the, the back nine of the, of the podcast here. And, um, what, do you, I mean, 
what what advice would you give someone to best a job seeker to best utilize the platform? Someone who really maybe they've had an account for a couple of years. Now they're on the job market and they're like, shit, how, how do I even use this thing? Where do I where do I start? Like, what's some of that basic advice, that kind of one on one level advice? Yeah, I mean, from from a one on one perspective, everything starts with the profile. So you want to reach out to somebody to try to get a coffee chat or a job. They're going to look at your profile. Of course, you're going to leave a comment somewhere. They're going to look at your profile. Uh, you want to engage with creators, they might look at your profile. And so uh, if, if that's not dialed in, you're going to have a really tough time connecting with people and getting attracting the right folks to your to your door. And so first thing I would say is, is make sure every part of your profile is filled out. Um, there's a ton of guides on you know, how to rock your profile. Yeah, how to it's, optimize all, it's all out there. Yeah, it's all out there, but really just invest the time. LinkedIn now even has AI features where mm-hmm. you know, a few seconds, they'll write your headline and summary. So take take advantage of any of those pieces that can help you do that. Uh, once you do that, I would then go to where the conversation is happening. And so what I mean by that is yep. if, if you're a, a marketer or you're a copywriter, who are the other copywriters or marketers that are sharing the, the the spiky points of view or the unique takes on how to be a better copywriter? Um, because presumably that is your field and 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 that's where the conversation is happening. Those are where the trends are happening. Those are where all the people are hanging mm-hmm. out and commenting. Um, so I would I, that would be the next step I would advise people is find where the conversation is happening and connect with the folks in that space who are um, sharing that content, putting out those ideas. Extremely smart. And I think it sounds so elementary to folks like you and I who are, you know, longtime experts in this space too. But as a recruiter by trade, one of the things that I always uh, guide candidates on is your your LinkedIn profile and your resume need to sync up as far as chronological order. Because a lot of times you don't update it. And me as a recruiter, I'm looking at your LinkedIn yeah. profile sometimes before I even look at your resume. And if something oh, isn't yeah. driving all right, that, that, could, that could be a call out there. Um, if you could, if you had a magic wand right now and you could change anything in this current labor market, what would it be? Uh, I would probably, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a few things I would change, but um, or maybe in the job search process, the hiring process. Let's let's dial that one in a little bit. I I, I mean, a, a perfect world would just be to to see the layoff cease, uh, and, and not just cease, but I think a really I don't want to say terrible. I mean, it is a terrible thing, but it's a hammer uh, uh, it, it is, but I've seen it normalized now, um, and and that that sucks. To, right. It's almost commonplace, right? Where they're laying off three thousand people via email, right? It's almost just like, all right, let's make sure we populate, load in the Excel spreadsheet. These are the people getting fired today. Boom, you're done. Moving on. That, that's the worst part. And it's true. That's the way it works. I I in the beginning there was outrage and there was people will remember. This brand has been, you know, this, this company has been branded now forever as a place that people don't want to work. And now it feels like everyone is doing it. And if they need to, they'll do it. And, and there, there's not, they're not facing those repercussions that we saw, uh, I think, in 2020 when companies were doing that. Uh, and now, like you said, it's been that slow hemorrhage and it, it's continuing to happen. Just the other day, a company I posted, a pretty well-known tech company had just rescinded 75 yep. offers of people that they let them know two days before their start date. Yeah. Where's the outrage there? Where, how has that already been slipped under the rug? How is it okay that, that they, a lot okay? of them could have left a job? I mean, there's a lot of them that were out of work, but a lot of them left a job and gave their notice and now they can't go back. They, they put yeah, in their exactly. notice, they've done it all. And, there's, and then now they're in this purgatory of they can't do shit. Uh, exactly. And, and I would be talking about that for a long time. 
that that this behavior is happening. And so, but that's already been swept under the rug. And then now we see Google layoffs and more companies doing it. Well, so uh, th- that's one of the worst parts, I think, of the labor market that yeah, I would, it, it, I would it's want a, to change. It's a tough one, though, because if we're going to talk about it from an economic standpoint, unfortunately, we're in this period, I call it the great recalibration, right? When the pandemic started, there was a flood of cheap money out there through PPP yeah. loans and other government subsidies. And these companies went out and they binge hired. And now with interest rates going up and the economy, you know, taking a downturn, what's going to happen? It's last in, first out. And that's exactly, you know, it's exactly what we're seeing right now. But we're also seeing a ton of senior executives where whole departments and divisions are getting cut. People that it's not yeah. performance based, people that have been in long tenure, people out on maternity and paternity leave getting let go. And there's nothing. I thought it was illegal to let somebody go when they're on leave. Yeah, I, I I thought that was the the case too, but I, I've actually had a couple yeah, examples of, I uh, yeah so, something something is happening. But uh, so I think that would be a big change. The second one would be I, I would like to see the flow of more capital going into startups and companies. So mm-hmm. I'm in the startup space. We're we're a venture back company, and we've seen a lot of fear and hesitation still from the the investing community. I mean, it's certainly not going to go back to how it was. In the in the boom times of 2021, where it seemed like there was, like you said, free money was was floating around, but uh, I've, I've seen the opposite in in the other direction happen to the point where companies are dying uh, and, mm-hmm. and people are 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 losing their jobs. Uh, we're, we're just not seeing um, that capital come back in at the rate that I think it should be, and so that's another thing would be uh, for folks to to have that start flowing i'd like exactly. to see that start to start to happen again so, so let's let's talk about your company wasl right now what's the biggest challenge ahead heading into 2024 yeah definitely uh, it's probably just getting the the buy-in and and some level of certainty from our our clients our prospective clients that are hiring so we're we're in the ta recruiting space uh as you know that that space is uh one just been absolutely gutted. Um, no one's hiring. Talent, whether, I know. Uh, yeah, whether you work internally as a recruiter or you're an agency or a third party, it, it is a very very tough climate right now. Uh, and, and we've managed to differentiate ourselves, I think, through our messaging and being able to provide just awesome people and a great experience. But uh, that that's no doubt a challenge. Um, is looking at people just don't know what to expect yet. I don't think there's that oh. moment yet where companies are saying, "All right, now we're back." We know that the next six to 12 months will be this. And it wasn't, it's just not there. No, it wasn't like that. I remember like in the beginning of the pandemic, man, we had like, it was, it was March. Cause I remember it was, it was right after my birthday when the world shut down and it was like a four or five month, maybe six month period where there was like a freeze, there was layoffs. People don't know what the hell was going on. And then people were like, wait a minute, we need those recruiters back. We we're going to be hiring. Cause we got all this cash yeah. and now we got to hire everybody. All right. So let's bring it home here. We know this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I want everyone so definitely check out wisefull.co. We'll link it up at the end. We'll give another shout out when we wrap it up here. Really cool product you're building out there. You have a fantastic story, but you also bring a ton of life and, and worldly advice here. So what is the single greatest piece of advice that you have ever received that you take action on every day? Maybe a mantra, something you wake up feeling when you first thing you do when you roll out of bed and it goes through your head or something you say out loud. Oh, wow. This is uh that is a great question. I would probably say, um, People may not be a f- crazy about this one, but I, I'm thinking back to that that working class background, that blue collar advice that I that I used to get from my dad all the time, and just w- one phrase just always has been with me: 
every day. Uh, nobody, no, nobody owes you anything. Um, and it's crazy. I, I wish I almost had something fancier to remember. No, but, but it's I, straight up, man. I, it's true. And, and I remember that as a kid, uh, I would hear it when my, my dad would hustle and, and there were terrible experiences. So I, I always remember that. And I think that's part of why I, I have that, that grind mentality. You know, I, I'm willing to do what it takes and, and go out there every day. Um, because I, I don't have that expectation that it's going to be there for me Love it. or that there's a safety net because there's not. <clears throat> and, and, and so that's, a that's, uh, that, that, so hope, you know, hopefully some folks resonate with that, but, uh, I think that one is the one that sticks with me and it's true. I, lo- I love it, man. And, and I think it goes back and I'm not going to go on a, on a tangent here about entitlement and, and handouts and all that kind of stuff right now, because if you have that in you where you have a little chip on your shoulder, it could be a big chip on your shoulder. You know that no one knows you shit. You're going to go out and you're going to make it happen, whatever you need to do. I appreciate and expect that. So let's bring it home here. Last question. You look back, you know, on your life and you were alluding to it earlier, like there was tough times in childhood and you watch your mom and your dad work their ass off to help you get to a higher place than them, to succeed them in formal education, to have a better life. And you look back on that with with gratitude and appreciation and you look forward now to this family, this life that you're building, the real influence that you are making out there and really helping job seekers. You know, Perry, what is your focus? What is your compass? What is your North Star in life? To make an impact on as many people as possible in their life and their careers. Um, and, and that's what keeps me me going every day is, is that that is a, a North Star. That's a mission. I've done that you know, you can do that in a million different ways, um, but that will always be at the core of, of what I'm trying to do. And right now, for me, that's that's helping people grow in their careers, land amazing jobs that they didn't have before, um, get the learning and advice that they didn't get in school. And that may evolve over time, but but that is uh, that's always going to drive me to uh, to do what I do. Um, so, yeah, I love it, man. And that's how we do it here on the podcast. Rena, I want to thank you so much for joining me. This has been a, a fun conversation. I want everyone again to check out wiseful.co. We'll link it up. W-I-S-E-F-U-L, one L, dot co. Where else could they find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? You know, I'm going to say it, LinkedIn. Uh, on LinkedIn all the time, every day. Um, feel free to connect with me there. Follow me for any of the, you know, just to check out some of the content I have, but would love to, Engage with some folks on LinkedIn if you can find me. Awesome. Good stuff. Rena has a fantastic profile, a couple hundred thousand followers out there. The guy knows what he's talking about. Definitely check him out and see what he's doing. Thank you so much for joining me. And everyone out there, if this episode meant something to you, leave a review or rating. It goes a long way. You know where to find us on social media, thepodcast.com, at NHP Talent on Instagram. Follow me at a Adam, geez, I don't even know my own LinkedIn, Adam J. Posner on LinkedIn. <laughs> Remember, Take care of each other. Look out for one another. Be good to yourself. Be better to others. And we'll catch you next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Hey, everybody. I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial, and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Wisdom. 
is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>